Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, it's time for Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Sweeney. I'm Jesse Gaskell. And we're writers on The Conan Show. And we are. Yeah, we also host this podcast called Inside Conan. We, we really... <laughs> Try to keep things Conan-centric in our lives. Uh, we talk- I have a Conan uh, duvet cover. Uh, wow. I did not know that. <laughs> so. Yeah. We are here with you this week. Um, mm-hmm. It's on the eve of the Team Coco House right. tour, uh, which is a, a big citywide comedy festival, basically. I think it's this- 10 cities, uh-huh. and Team Coco is... I will say lazily taking over existing <laughs> comedy clubs. Yeah. And just, sl- they're slapping their name on it. Mm-hmm. Handing out some stickers. Handing out stickers, possibly pins if if they're really uh, splurging on the high end. And, but they've booked all these uh, really great comics. Yeah. And they're all, you know, Conan. Clubs. People in the Conan family. Right. Who either performed on the show or right. maybe write for the show in some cases. Right, right. Or... Of lent Conan money. There's all different avenues to get booked <laughs> for the Tim Coco house. And um, yeah, so that's coming up this weekend. And uh, to help celebrate that yes. and get the word out. <laughs> Although I think it's already sold out, but you know, oh. maybe you could. Well, to get the word out scalp for the next one, uh, we have a very special guest today. We do. Um, she's a comic who's performing in LA at the Hollywood Improv, uh, Jenna Friedman. Hi, Jenna. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank thanks you for being, for being here. here. Welcome to Inside Conan. Have you ever wanted to go inside Conan? Oh, um, I'm glad you asked that. On a metaphorical level, sure. Any level. That okay. on a metaphorical. Yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Conan's a legend, a living legend. <laughs> the word you know, legend covers. <laughs> this isn't going to really get back to him, by the way. No. He, he doesn't listen to this podcast. No, he so you can say anything you want. That's right. what I mean to say. Okay, good. Uh, good. <laughs> good, good, good. And welcome to Los Angeles. Yeah, you're a New Yorker. Thank you. I do identify as a New Yorker. You're wearing I, all black, so that's right. how we know <laughs> This that. is like my lighter. <laughs> it's like blackish gray. This is kind of like on an upbeat right. day. Yeah. And we're wearing red headsets, and you were like, no, I brought my own black headset, which I think <laughs> yeah. I Well, I got lights from doing a podcast once. <laughs> oh, that, that probably could happen. That probably yeah. could. 
Uh, well, so you, I did, did you? No, you, I made that up. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I got that, but it also I is something too. I could see people starting to carry around their own headphones. Because there are people so many podcasts. Right. Yeah. And so many people doing yes. that, yeah. that something's going to catch. Some of it's, some of the podcasts are just riffraff coming in off the street. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't know what you're going to get. Soon people, you'll probably get your own headsets like for your sixth birthday and just be expected to start podcasting Mm -hmm. in the second grade. Like a little like podcast starter kit for kids. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Like an easy bake oven. Instead of karaoke. (laughs) You can talk along to an old Mark Maron podcast. I don't think that would. Build a podcast. Oh, that's cute. Yes. And marketable. Hmm. Hmm. Copyright it. Mm. Right here on the air. Just say <laughs> yeah. it's there, you're covered. Kevin's doing it right now. Um, whoops, too late. Um, so, Jenna, you had an incredible set on Conan a few weeks ago. Cool. I'm it, glad you think that. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, great. Have you gotten good feedback on it? I have gotten good feedback. I mean, I read all the comments. People wonder why. You do? I read all of them. Oh, no. Oh, you do? I do. Well, I have like a hypercritical Jewish mother, so it just feels like a hug. She's okay. one of the commenters. She's, she's she does like, like an like incel. Three quarters <laughs> she writes for incels. Um, <laughs> that's her hobby. That's how she makes money. So she set you up to be uh, open to criticism. Completely. Wow, that's a good skill. I think so. And your audience ultimately is your critic, you know, and mm-hmm. I love that set. And I knew that it was going to be a little too dark for the room. But then it did have like a second life online, which I appreciated. And I think yeah, it really was kind of directed. I'm glad it felt a little more universal, but it really was speaking to like a specific audience of like, you know, women and of true me. crime junkies. <laughs> right, right. And so, you know, it's always, I also think it's interesting when people just expect that comedy has to be certain people, not to name names, but just certain demographic just expects that like comedy just has to be for them. And I think that with all the platforms now, like you're getting to see so much comedy and some things are for you. Some things are for someone else. Yeah. I think that's great. And you know, a lot of comics don't even like are judgmental about comics who do stuff different from them. It's like, oh, that's, you know, what they're doing isn't cool. It, it's ridiculous. There right, everyone be, thinks what they're doing is the only way. Right, and there should, I, I like that there's all, obviously all a great, great variety of types of comedy. But your set well, was, oh, and Yeah, I mean, I think the point you're making is great. I remember reading in Tina Fey's autobiography that there were sketches they'd pitch for SNL when, um, you know, when Seth Meyers was the head writer and, and, like, the men in the room would just not get it, and that was why they didn't laugh. It wasn't because it wasn't funny. They just didn't understand the premise of it. So yeah. it, it was, like, that really opened up for me. Oh, sometimes people aren't laughing not because they hate this material, but just because it doesn't, they don't not, really understand it. Yeah, we have this idea that comedy is universal, but it's a lot more, like, it's not like what's funny. It's like what's funny to you. You know, like it's a little bit more my favorite comedy, at least. I think like slapstick and broad comedy is more universal. Yeah. But I like kind of specific comedy, even if it's not specifically for me. I kind of like seeing something that's a little bit more specific. But it also is, I mean, you know, your set was about true crime and the like the dearth of 
or not dearth, the wealth of podcasts and yeah, shows. Yeah, I had to cut that part short. I had like 20 others that I was going to name. Other, oh, were, were those all real? Funny. They're all real. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I thought you all, started making up. No, the only oh one God. I made up was the This American Death, because that was the joke was that it's going to be my podcast. Yeah. Right. So the down it's, south one is real? What was the uh, Southern oh, yeah, Fried true, true Crime. Oh, my God. That's a real one. Okay. White wine and crime was that one? Wine and crime, white wine, crime, white wine crime and, and crime. grits. Uh, wow! I, Do you listen to a lot of? That? I mean, I went so I went on a road trip uh, a couple months ago, and uh, my boyfriend and I listened to a bunch of them because it was just like such. You know, you're in a car for thirty hours, and so we listened yeah. to like Dirty John and Doctor mm. Death and Oh. Man in the Window is so scary. I had to stop listening because it was just, it's like about the Golden State Killer and it's just oh. too scary. Okay. I didn't, I, yeah, I hadn't heard that one. That's what it's about. That Yeah. I listened to, I think, a different Golden State Killer podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's so scary. Um, and then it's like, there are all these economies and there's like a comic con for, not comic con, but like a murder con or whatever. Like there's all <laughs> right. this money going into it and it's it makes you wonder, like, it, how ethical is it, you know? And in yeah. some, like, it's easy to just kind of criticize it, which I think I do. But I also, it does, I read one article, I think it was in the Washington Post, just about how it does, like, give, uh, you know, the family of victims kind of a sense of hope and keeping their stories alive. And when they can actually track down killers, it's like an immense sense of justice. But then you also kind of wonder, like, as we fetishize it and as we market it, is it like inspiring copycats or just like our national obsession with like dead white women? Like how is that? It's a longer conversation, but I have this hour show called Miscarriage of Justice and I kind of try to think about like how, you know, does it make it harder for us to see like a woman in the White House because like every woman on TV is dead? <laughs> <laughs> and in like soft focus and the yeah, with... There's always those slow push photos where you're like, oh, no, I know she's going to die. Yeah. The Is that a live show? Miscarriage of Justice? Yes. Yeah, I did it. I just did it in the Edinburgh Fringe. The crime segment actually was part of, is part of that show. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's like this hour show that I developed in August at the Edinburgh Fringe, and it's about all this kind of stuff. Do you uh, perform in Europe uh, just that, like, you've been at Edinburgh before. Is that your times in Europe or have you performed like in London, you know, in yeah, different countries? I've done a bunch of stuff in London. Uh-huh. Uh, I was in um, Dublin and Kilkenny in Ireland this past summer and then Edinburgh, as yeah. I guess they pronounce it. <laughs> yes, pronounce I've it. done stuff in like Paris and Berlin. Uh-huh. I like, I mean, when it's in those countries, like you're performing for like an expat audience a lot of times, even uh. though a lot of people speak English. Or yeah, like I was in, wondering how to, because you do a lot of political comedy and does that translate? It translates more in the UK. Mm-hmm. That, that's why I thought you might have headed to Europe. Yeah, yeah, but not as much like in, you know, um, in Europe. Uh in Germany, I remember doing a show in Berlin, and it was, like, the English-speaking night at the Kookaburra Comedy Club, and the German audiences would just, like, laugh because they wanted everyone at their table to think they spoke English. <laughs> <laughs> so you could just pause, and they would, like, laugh when you paused. I would take it. Yeah. <laughs> laughs or laughs. I mean, Germans aren't known for being good laughers. No. <laughs> 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 I'm just uh, imagining cabaret. Right? Like you're in that room. Well, we're there. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to imagine it. Yeah. Go to Washington, D.C. right now. 
Uh, so in New York, where where do you what kind of venues do you perform in? Anywhere that'll have me. I love the comedy store. Or sorry, the comedy cellar. Oops, uh-huh. Sorry, Esther. I love the comedy cellar in New York. Um, but also there's like such a very healthy alt scene and there are tons of right. rooms all the time in, you know, Brooklyn and in the city and in Queens. I've even performed in Staten Island. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, but there are so many spaces. <laughs> so just, I know. So just um, wherever. But the be- one of the best clubs in the world, I would say, is, is the Comedy Cellar. Yeah, Cellars. Yeah. Great. And it used to, I don't know if it still does, it gets people from all, a lot of people from Europe and all over the world. Yeah, well, it's that combination of like, it gets tourists, but they're hip. It's like, so a lot of other clubs, sometimes you'll end up getting like a tourist audience. You don't know how, if they even really speak English or if they've seen comedy before, but the seller still manages to be a club and have an audience that is like primed for comedy and you can... I mean, they don't like. It's not like it's not as cool as performing in, you know, like uh, a random little show in Brooklyn where you can take risks and stuff. Like right. they kind of want you to do your best material, but mm-hmm. the audience is still pretty hip, surprisingly. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. There. I guess you don't do a lot of Jersey bar gigs. I'm guessing. <laughs> I mean, I started. I used. I started in Chicago, and I did uh-huh. a ton okay. of the clubs. I so I did start like doing right. a lot of clubs. I just like, like two drink minimum clubs. Yeah, and I think that I don't know. It, it was never like something I really enjoyed because you know, like if you're like a twenty something kid and you're performing to like fifty year old married couples and. Elgin, nothing against Elgin, Illinois or whatever, but like it, it just like, and you know what makes them laugh and it's not necessarily like overlapping right. with what you find funny. And so I would like do shows, I'd like feature or host and then I kind of get sad after because it wasn't like I was getting to do the stuff I found funny. They A lot of dick jokes they would really yeah. like. But I right. also think now because of like the quote unquote comedy boom and the fact that there's so much comedy, I think people who watch it are just more literate in comedy now because mm-hmm. they get to see so much. Right. So I think a lot of people coming to the clubs are comedy fans, so comedy which nerds. are so yeah. much more fun to perform for. Do you, you do raise a really good point. I mean, I'm really interested in how you, how do you keep a good sense of like, of your own voice and what you think is funny when you're, I mean, maybe just when you were starting out, how did you find the confidence to say, no, I know that this material is funny, even if it's not getting laughs from this particular audience. I mean, it probably wasn't funny. <laughs> like You just kind of like learn as you go and you keep doing it. There's a little bit of a level of masochism of just like, yeah. you keep going and you go and you go. And then like, uh, if one thing isn't working, you kind of, I, I was making short films and stuff. I had a, one of my first kind of things that um, people saw was a web series I did that was making fun of the New York Time, Times wedding videos about a woman. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, in love with a serial killer. And so I oh, made a whole yeah. web series and then we were trying to sell it as a film. And um, But that kind of... <laughs> you could sell it as a true crime show now. Yes. Right? Well, he's not... It's not about him. It's really about her and a metaphor for like love and relationships and like what you're willing to put up with when you meet someone you love. Mm-hmm. At least the film version. But um, that was like a thing where it's like even if I feel like, even if the the stand up I was doing at that time wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing, I was able to kind of find other ways to put stuff out there that I found funny. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that would be like you'd show the videos during your show. No, no, it just oh, okay. went. It was just something know. I made you online that like went Got viral, it. Got and it, it. that kind of stuff 
was like, oh, maybe I should keep doing this. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, so again, like you said, the internet kind of gave you the audience. The audience found you online. I think so. Yeah. And it definitely helped me get my first couple of jobs. Like 2005, no, what was it? 2007, like, eight is when I started making videos online. And then I got... Which is pretty early for that. Yeah. 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 But that definitely kind of, I think... You know, before now, where we're worried about social media uh, destroying democracy, which it is, there was a time where the internet felt very democratizing. Yes. And that, like, kind of voices who would have a harder time getting in were able to get in because of the internet. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great way to kind of reverse engineer finding an audience, you know, and then when you start doing comedy, I think. Although we... we was there a way to connect the people you were attracting with the videos to then when you were doing stand-up? Like, yeah, did people start coming to your shows specifically because they'd seen the videos? I mean, kind of. My fans are like, they're. It's funny because they're not like rabid. They're like people and now. They're like our age. And they're yeah, just kind of <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know. I mean. Yeah, I don't. I my fans are very low key. Who wants rabid fans? I know. like. I think I, like someone <laughs> quietly just go. Oh, yeah, I really. I think you're. It's like, oh, that. Thank you. Yeah, people are going to leave you alone in public. Yes. Yeah. But then the problem is those people aren't going to go. Like they're not going to make an account to go comment on somewhere. But the people who do comment are are going to be trolls. Maybe. Probably your mother. Right, or your mom. No, is your mom, is she a fan of your stand-up and she has criticisms within your stand-up act or does she give you a hard time about the whole I mean, I think she's just funny and she doesn't think, Uh I feel bad because I feel bad talking about her because she'll definitely listen to this. I think she's. I know, moms have Google alerts set with her name. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. She's very funny. She could have been Uh a comedian, you know, in her own time. She could have been a Mrs. Maisel. Well, she's not that old, but she, <laughs> but she, yeah, she's funny. Um, well, I think she'll like all of this. So know. far, so good. I don't know. She always thinks I should be like an agent. And I'm like, you don't oh, understand no. how offensive oh. that is. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nothing against agents, but like, you know, I've been doing comedy for 13 years. And successfully. So it's <laughs> not, it's not like, yeah, I mean, you know. But that's what it always is. So like I, I don't fall think back I would be point. a comedian if it weren't for her. That's true. Do you know that's, what I mean? That's nice. You kind of yeah. need that person to just not believe in you. <laughs> yeah, so that you keep going back oh. for... To There's total love there. But right. The well, empty well of validation that always needs filling. Yeah. Well, would she give it up for you, like when you were a kid and you, were, you thought you were being funny? Would I she never laugh? did comedy. No, I was always oh. the awkward one. My sister was funny and she's a banker now. Oh. And I was just kind <laughs> so of like... she peaked too early. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just kind of dark and weird. And my dad really was cool. He would really feed into that and, like, buy me. I remember, like, he bought me this comic book called The Big Book of Death. And every chapter was, like, a different way to die. Um, and then <laughs> How I'm, old were you? <laughs> like, seven or eight. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Is that book still? I want that book. I know. Yeah, they had, like, um, I remember Typhoid Mary had her, there was, like, a disease chapter, and mm-hmm. I was, like, obsessed with Typhoid Mary. Yeah. <laughs> no, infectious diseases. A good Halloween costume. Cholera, that is a typhoid. good one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd recognize her. 
Uh, I yeah. guess if she's in stage three of typhoid. <laughs> well, she help. the whole thing was that she was like a carrier, so she never oh, actually oh. got she sick. Didn't, oh, she was asymptomatic, and that yeah, that's how she was able to like she would like work as like a cook or whatever, and she'd get everybody sick, and then they kept Ooh. like finding her and making her leave those jobs, and then I think they tried to just like typhoid her. Mary, yeah, typhoid <laughs> Mary just like didn't know when to quit. Everybody was like. You got to get away. And then she was like, well, what if I just serve food to as many kids as humanly possible? <laughs> I won't possible? cough on it this time. <laughs> you think the nickname would have tipped people yeah. off. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Uh, when did, so when did you start thinking that you could do comedy professionally? Because that's kind of a big leap to take. I mean, even you- now, like the majority of the, like, my income is more from like writing and mm-hmm. um, producing comedy than actually like stand up. Like I, um, I've been doing stand up forever. The first time I did my own hour show was uh, a, a show called American Cunt. Mm-hmm. Can I say cunt? Uh, yeah, yeah. You just did. I just did. Uh, that's how I sneak it in. But yeah, that <laughs> was like a political hour of comedy that we made. On uh, CISO produced it. Uh, rest in peace. CISO. Oh yeah. And this is the first time we the, someone said cunt on the show. I think that's, that's true. Right. That is yes. a nice little, we should have a little um, sound effect. Yes, for, something to celebrate. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe Ba-ba. in the description. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a lovely word. It's a term of endearment in the UK. It's so much, that that's true. It's much more forgiving in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much less, and I talked about this in the show, but. I remember it was like right when Hillary was running and like Clinton was such a more offensive C word to most Americans <laughs> than cunt and like crazy is another word that's so much more insidious than cunt. And we always think cunt is the worst word, but it's not. Well, it's only how it's you. I mean, you know, it's, it's all about context. It right? is. It another is about C context. Word. Yeah. yeah. Crazy gets from it. Yes. Crazy is kind of a, a short term th- Right, only away. women Crazy's get called the crazy. Worst because, yeah. like, if if I call someone, it dismisses someone, a, someone immediately. exactly. And if you call someone a cunt, then it reflects on you, the right. person who says it. Right. But then, if you call someone crazy, that word like sticks with them, and like, it's really right. yeah. Awful. And crazy can just mean like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> don't like take assertive her seriously, or, don't hire her. Yeah, right. So crazy cunt, I guess, cancels out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, crazy yeah. cunt would just be like, "Oh, you're the problem." The person <laughs> who says that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like an overstepping. It oversteps. Yeah. I feel bad. I said it. No, you said it in the right context. <laughs> Thank you, you didn't actually call anyone. Thank that. you very much. Um, Thank you for the footnote. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take, no, it's I'll take fine. it. <laughs> but yeah, so I did that, and that was like my first hour show, and then this one hopefully will be my second. And then having the, the miscarriage of justice. Yeah. And then, you know, JP and Conan just putting my stuff on TV. That's the only time I've ever had my stand up on late night. Oh, is oh, that, that true? That's yes. great. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. You had so many great jokes on this set, though. You had yeah. the one about the girlfriend of Ted Bundy. And, oh, and I everyone know. goes, oh, she's he- crazy. She's crazy. And you're like, well, she's a woman, a single woman 30s. dating in her 30s, which, yeah. I mean, you, that was a great set. You did great. Great set. You were Thank talking you. about it doing better online, but you did. I, I, thought I thought it did really well. Oh, the only thing, I felt like the audience didn't um, get your Aziz impression. I know, because I didn't sell it too well, and I wasn't allowed. I think they allow- just didn't well, get it. I just didn't want to, yeah, no, that totally went over everyone's head. But some jokes are just for comedians. Yeah. And that was definitely one of them. That's, I like that. Uh, did you, Has anyone said anything about that? I mean. No. No blowback. I kind of, no. Yeah. Because it's right on the line. 
It is. And I didn't say the tag in the joke, which I, I wasn't used to doing the joke without that tag of, like, that's my impression of Aziz. But, you know, it's fine. It's just, if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, yeah. If you don't, you don't. Mm -hmm. Now, did you not do that? Because, like, when you go over the. It's stuff that you just kind of. On your own. Yeah. It's not like JP said, oh. Yeah, no, I I just didn't want to stir the pot too much. Right. They're so nice to me and they let me do enough. And it's also (laughs) kind of fun to have some lines out there where you just kind of let it hang. Right. But. Especially, you know, on that. Yeah. And like the fact that they let the Epstein stuff stay in, that was really fun. I didn't yeah. think that that was going to happen. Uh, I wrote that yeah, one line. Yeah, I mean, line, he's like, dead now, so he can't. Yeah. I, is he? No, I, I wrote the one. <laughs> I like that angle. <laughs> the line. What island like is he on right yeah. now? Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's, well, the thing about, it's not like he killed himself. I was like, I just said that to JP like a, a couple minutes before I went on stage. Because I knew that they were going to groan at that. And yeah. then I'm like, what, what's that next line? And so I never workshopped that one. So it came out, I think, a little harsh, too. <laughs> this is well, do you think that's going to be a permanent part of that, that set now? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I'll say, if it makes you guys feel better, he didn't kill himself. <laughs> okay. That's what, how I will change yeah. it. <laughs> no, I love I love hearing how something gets workshopped. I mean, late night sets are so just down to the word yes. and the pause. And it's so... Because you're operating within a five-minute... Within a five-minute yeah. time frame. And also I had done the set in the UK so much, but I had only done it a couple times in America when I got... When I found out that I was doing it. And so the timing, I just kept finding new things... And, like, the last set that I did, I had the timing so down. But the mm-hmm. set, the different crowds, the timing would change. Yeah. Because the set is so specific. So if a crowd doesn't really – it just was it's an, it was an interesting set. And I was really excited that they let me do it. That is interesting. So you had just been back in the U.S. a couple of weeks, I guess. So yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and did you know – were the audiences that dramatically different? And. Well, this. I think the when I was doing the true crime stuff, yeah, when I started to stuff. do it in the UK, it was interesting because I've always found that audiences, British audiences in particular, are darker than we are in America, just more morbid. Right. But then that true crime stuff was hitting harder in America because right. in the past we have couple, so it's just we have such so an much, explosion. and in the past couple years, we've almost we've had such a weird traumatic thing happen with our country that I think. We yeah. were, we've almost like outpaced them in how kind of sad and dark we've gotten. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was so I had to like kind of be a little bit more physical with the material when I was doing it in the UK to to sell it. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, you had more slip and falls. Yeah, and like <laughs> the like at one point when I was doing the impression of like a live woman breathing, it was like really all over the place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is like not how my comedy normally is. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mc Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Masterforce Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Masterforce tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. You said that you read the comments online. Uh, do you find, I mean, I already know the answer to this question, but doing feminist comedy, do you find that there are, that that like will, um, that maybe there will be a troll's nest or something that will find you and then I mean, they totally you? do. It's a lot of like alt-right and silly types, but they never make fun of my looks, which I'm like, that's oh. progress. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you're a very attractive. Maybe she'll so date I think me. That's, yeah, I don't know if, Yeah. That's just, they just don't comment on them, which is nice. Yeah. It's like a, it's maybe it's like a privilege of having kind of like a neutral vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's, they're all fine. It's all, it doesn't really bother It doesn't me. affect you. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's amazing. How, I mean, how did you get to that? You just, I'm telling you, my from mom, your childhood. I also yeah. played, I was an athlete growing up. I played tennis singles and it was really cutthroat and you're just kind of out there on the court yourself. Oh, and yeah. with comedy, it's like, you know, you, the critic is the audience. Like you, it's very democratizing. You know what people think when you do it. And when you've done a show enough, you just kind of know what works. And mm-hmm. also in this moment, there's just so much noise and a lot of people, Talking and I don't know if you guys have heard about the alleged civil war in comedy. Yes, <laughs> it's so yeah. silly. Well, I now read Ta- about Todd that. Phillips took a side today. He so did. did. Yeah, it was so. Dumb. What side is he on? He's uh, just like I, he said. He's, he said I stopped doing. I'm. Why don't I? Why am I doing impressions? Yeah, I, I don't know. I stopped doing. He said he stopped doing comedy because of like the woke culture or something. Yeah, he said woke culture killed comedy, and so he had to go into drama. There's Comedy evolves. Everything evolves. Yes. And, you know, it's it's definitely harder to get it right now because there are so many voices and so much cool things happening in terms of progress. So there's a more level community. playing field. Yeah. And that's upsetting to some people. Yeah, you put it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just always been the case that, you know, if entertainers – uh, have to think about the changing market and cater to that sometimes, and that's always happened. It's yeah. just now effect- right. maybe it's adversely affecting straight white men more than other people. I mean, they're still getting paid. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I don't know he's still making about. movies. He's still making the best movie. <laughs> like he's still getting yeah. to make like 
DC yeah. uh, comic. Movies. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it used to be there were literally were just old school comedy clubs. Like the alt scene didn't even start till the early 90s. Yeah. And before that. But like Lenny were, Bruce would be like an alt comic. Right. That's true. That's true. It's but but I just mean like in New York City there were just very kind of monolithic comic and the same mm-hmm. comics. And worked. you ha- probably had bookers who you had to pass with to get yes. stage time, and then now there's yes. so many places you can get up. Right, and and I think once those other clubs start opening down on the Lower East Side, and then, and then popping up all over town, uh, just a whole new. Uh, it, it attracted a whole different audience, much. I think a sharper audience and then college had, educated. <laughs> well, and then you had sharper comedians. It, it yeah. was kind of a symbiotic thing, but it, it definitely created this whole new line of comedy. But there's also this thing we still don't really talk about too much, which is like all the economics of it. Like I, I mean, I've been doing stand up longer than almost anything I've been doing comedically, but I like, I've made money writing for people and mm-hmm. working for other people. Like, I think if you are going to do the type of stand-up that I'm at least trying to do, like, it's not it's not like the most marketable <laughs> type of stand-up. Well, even, I mean, for most, I, I think probably it's such a small percentage of stand-ups that actually make their living that way. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, that's like you have to be in the 0.01% of touring yeah. comics, and you have to like that right. lifestyle and... But I, I would think uh, having a more unique voice, obviously, in the long run, seems like the the great way. I think most comics would be very envious of that, of just having a, a unique voice that you can go, oh, there's not a lot of other people like you, obviously, is preferable. I mean, the money's going to come. You'll be a multi-zillionaire <laughs> no, by next No, but year. that's, I mean, the goal is, you know, to just be able to kind of keep making things that say things and, like, saying things in a funny way that people right. appreciate. That, that That is what makes me happy, um, for sure, even though I sound <laughs> so monotone. <laughs> but right. it, it was so satisfying, like, the fact that uh, Conan and JP let me do that set. It was so, I was so excited because I. it's something I've been thinking about so much. Yeah. And it, and same with the other set after Charlottesville, I was like so distraught to be able to channel it into comedy and then do it on Conan. It was felt like very special. Oh, good. Yeah, that's great. And it, they, they were both. Well, that the Charlottesville one was especially timely. Well, I, but they're also so funny. I mean, I think you have yeah. a really rare gift of being able to do stuff that is both. Uh, you know, good social commentary, but also it just stands on its own comedic merit, which I think yes. some people have a hard time with that balance. Um, like, oh, yeah. Like there's a lot of, you know, people who do, or maybe it's just on Twitter that I, tweets I read, <laughs> but like people whose comedy is mostly stuff that you agree with that you're going to clap for right. because you're like, that's a good point. Right, right. Tell that to MAGA41. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you, do you feel, um, I mean, I don't know, do you have advice or, or like how do you kind of find uh, a mix of, okay, being funny without sacrificing this your sort of point of view um, or like... How how do, how do those things get shaped, I guess? I think just from years and years of doing it and watching it, mm-hmm. you know, like I 
Um, when I was making my first special, I just kind of like binged on Bill Hicks and Carlin and Lenny Bruce and yeah, um, a bunch of other comedians who, I mean, even Sarah Silverman is one of my favorite comics ever. And I think she does it so well. Mm-hmm. Um, Dick Gregory, just kind of watching comedians that you admire and see how they do what they do. And then, you know, you just kind of also not being afraid to not, to not get the things you're peers are getting and to just keep doing what you're doing. And, and if you don't, I remember a friend of mine, Mike DiStefano, who passed away a little while ago, one of the funniest comedians I've ever met. He was like, don't be in a hurry to get your comedy on late night, because mm-hmm. when you get it on late night, like the, the later you get it, the better it'll be. And he talked about how like Lisa Lampanelli didn't kind of break until later. And then when she did, she, you could just see this like fully formed powerhouse. Yeah. Um, and so I always kind of held on to that. And my first set on late night was Conan mm-hmm. in 2018. I had been doing comedy for like 12 years by then. And so, yeah, I think it's just kind of sticking to what you find funny and not worrying about other people. And it's so hard because... My first six years, if you were to tell me, hey, give it another six years and then you'll get on late night. (laughs) I'd be like, what? That is really good advice. It's hard to know that, oh, yes, you're if you keep doing it, you're going you're going to just get better and better. But it's so incremental. It's so incremental. And it's also not just stand up. Like I think now, you know, writing is really important, producing, directing your own stuff like that web series. I directed and I wrote it and I produced Mm -hmm. it all on my own. And it was like a good like proof of concept for other things. And the Daily Show job I got because I I had videos that I made on my own online. And so that is another piece of advice. Because you were a writer on The Daily Show. A field producer. Oh, okay. But I was basically, we were writing and directing our own segments. We were like So you did like the segments where... With the correspondent in the field. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I actually had one piece that Asif Manvi was in that was like cited in a court case to like overturn racist voter ID laws. And it was one of the most pieces of all time. (laughs) Exactly what your goal was. Yeah, it was totally the most exciting job. That like that job was so cool. Yeah, that sounds. I mean, especially satisfying if you're able to be kind of, uh, I don't know, helping. Yeah, it was. <laughs> in a, in, it feels like a bigger, bigger it, than it just really entertainment. Did. It really did, and that was. I mean, I have my own little project on Adult Swim, but so much of what I learned at the Daily Show kind of helped me do these pieces. Did they yeah. throw you right in the pool on the Daily Show? Another? Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Were... I mean, we did a month trial because uh-huh. it's such a hard job because, again, you are writing in the tone of the show, but you're also directing and producing. And I remember specifically early on, I did one segment about like the sequester cuts and it was about how like all of this money going towards like food um, and poverty in, in would get cut. And so we had to go to like a soup kitchen. And I remember like a guy was eating and I, I had to get him out of the shot, but I couldn't, I didn't know how to tell him to, uh-huh. I didn't know how to tell him to get out of the shot. I just felt like bad. And so that job kind of helped me be like, not ruthless, but just really learn how to like get the get coverage the you, you need want. and like, right. Quietly yeah. assertive. Mm-hmm. Quietly assertive. And yes. like in the piece with the a guy with the voter ID thing, this guy actually got fired from working. He was working at a voting precinct in Asheville, North Carolina. And he said some crazy stuff in our segment and actually got fired. Oh, wh- but yeah. we showed up and he didn't want to be in the segment when I showed up. And I had to like charm him into being part of the segment. And, then and he- how do you do you is it like you're reassuring them that they're, you know, going to. 
I mean, look I have. Great. <laughs> no, I, I never lie to people. I try not to. Uh, I try not to lie. Um, <laughs> or you tell them that it's going it to be funny. It depends. If people, you know, there's a project. It depends. Um, so I try to be as honest as I can and not to take people out of context, definitely when they're on camera. And, you know, that guy didn't regret anything that he said in the piece. And so that's cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is You tough. just give them enough, enough rope to yeah. hang themselves with. Kind of, you know. I mean, the stuff we got, you know, they're coming on The Daily Show. They knew what they were getting. Yeah. Um, everyone who's been in soft focus so far, it seems. Has well, yeah, we have to talk about that. Been into soft, it. <laughs> soft focus, focus is your adult Comedy swim special. show. Yeah. Two, and two specials. We have right? another one we're doing. Oh, that's great. Oh, great. Yeah, I don't think it's been announced, but we're doing it. Okay. One. But it, the guests you have on are unbelievable. I don't like, how do you, how did you book John McAfee? I can't, you know, talk about how the sausage is made. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I watched that interview, which I loved and I, uh, you're really funny in it, but you're also totally unflappable and pretty yeah, fearless. Yeah, he's, he's an insane person. It was a tricky one. And the next one, I'm trying to find somebody who's pretty, pretty, pretty uh, controversial. And it's tough because I've been lucky so far, but people could get upset about the stuff I put out too. Like, I'm just kind of bracing myself for it. But with McAfee, he did have like an allegation of sexual assault. So I had to bring that up. Right. Mm -hmm. And he is running for president. So that's why I yeah. felt like he was fair game. Um, but it is always When well, he tricky. seems to want to promote himself. Yeah. And so I don't. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. He seemed to be wallowing. Yeah. In, in being he likes having the press, even if it's bad. But, but, you, but I think you have a great approach where you're pretty, very straightforward. And you, at least in the final piece, you, you seem very straightforward and very straight up with people. And I think. Yeah, they, it doesn't seem like you're trying to put one no, over. Exactly. On them. Like, well, because even if. So I don't did, think anyone will get, be getting mad. Just wait. Okay. <laughs> I think I also think I can't get away with that. Like I interviewed Ken Kratz from Making a Murderer. Yeah. And he's a creepy dude. And there were like edits and I edit all my own interviews because it's really the only way that I can. I mean, I'll work with like an editor, but I I'm like I weigh in on every mm -hmm. little moment because the comedy is so specific um, that I really just need to kind of be a part of the process. Um, but yeah, because it's all about even just like a, little, how long the pause is is going to yeah. be a laugh. But that with that Ken Kratz interview, there were moments where I was like, oh, my God, he looks so much more likable than me. And it's like, how is that possible? This guy is <laughs> awful. But I also think, I do think with women, like people, we kind of, when people first see us, immediately like there are all these cultural stereotypes and things that they have to process before we open our mouths like what we look like we're never we're never like neutral even I right. made that comment about kind of looking neutral as a female but there's always like do I like her does she come across like a bitch is she too well dressed right. is she too schlumpy is she too is sexy she... is she not sexy enough yeah it's like Everything's framed by her looks relationship to you. And and it's all this stuff that culturally we have to just kind of unpack in our heads before someone even opens their mouth. And so, and it's the same thing with on camera. Like if I'm interviewing someone, I just kind of, I think after doing this for so long, I have a sense of like what I can get away with. Mm -hmm. Because one little slip and, you know, you're, they just hate you. So it's it's always, you know, I think the older I get, the more... The better it is because I'll just have, like, more vulnerability. <laughs> but I just, you know, people, you're not ever really, like, an underdog or people don't, 
inherently, I think, in our culture, really root for women. But that's my own. Maybe maybe even me saying that is going to get somebody angry. So I don't know. Maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm angry. <laughs> Um, that, yeah, the, the series is really incredible. And th- was that the first time that you'd kind of taken that role of, uh, being the correspondent? Cause you'd. No, I was those. doing that before the daily show. Oh, okay. I did an interview. It's super weird, but it's online still with, uh, the rent is too damn high guy. Oh yeah. And he was so nice. Also a presidential and, candidate. Yeah. And so insane. And he talked the whole time. The only time I could get him to focus was when I like kind of flirted with him, which is so bad. But then he would like lightened up and was like talking about all these weird things. Mm-hmm. But when I, it was the only time I could get him to like not just kind of be crazily ranting right. when I kind of connected with him. And then he talked about having like a body chart where he likes to track women's moles. And it was super oh weird, God. but funny. And Catch I got the weird part. Yeah. <laughs> but that was like one of the first ones I did. And then Ken Kratz is another one. And I talked to this guy who named Dan Perino, who was like trying to find a girlfriend in New York. So he was posting signs all around town. And then Vice had interviewed him and he was like talking about how he didn't want any heavy set women and he didn't want any women over 38. And he had all these (laughs) standards and I had to talk to him. And so that was pretty funny. Yeah. But then that was another one where he was kind of like mentally ill and like I had to edit it to Mm. to make him, you know, to not feel sorry for him. To not feel sorry for him. That's a question I had watching your interviews you're so calm and cool with people who may have mental issues. I'm wondering if uh, you don't have to talk about this, but if that's part of your background or your experience. No. Where, okay. <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, I mean, I'm but serious, the thing is, you don't want to. Expl- dealing with crazy. I hate to use the word crazy, but yeah, no, it's okay. The, crazy well, in people. this case, you actually mean crazy people. I do. No, I, I don't want to like exploit anybody, and I and it's also like I remember when I was at the Daily Show, John had this rule of not having any white supremacists on the show, and we were in a time where that was the right call because they were on the fringe. Yeah, and right. y- if you put these people on camera and you make them look sympathetic or even if you don't make them look sympathetic but you air their views it can be a recruiting tool for other people yeah so that's part it's it's always like you know who is the right target right now and I I try to be really thoughtful about who to who to have on you know I think I try not to pick low-hanging fruit um anymore at least and uh, (laughs) uh if someone's in a position of power they're fair game um even if they're not like if they're if they're somebody who did something wrong but isn't in jail, they're mm-hmm. fair game. I try not to pay people. I know other people who do this kind of stuff. So will, Harvey Weinstein's going to be the next one. Will pay people? I have not. No, he's not at the moment. <laughs> I thought I actually thought about that, but I don't know how. Are there? Yeah, any- I, it would. No, I, I mean, you, but it's all. But you're on the li- you're on the right track of like <laughs> the type of people I'm kind of interested targeting. Yeah, I'm interested in people who. Like, why Campbell Cop appealed to me is because he is dating again. Oh, wow. And or at the time he was dating (laughs) again, and I thought that would be really— Cannibal Cop was New York. Yeah, he was in New York City. Not all cops are cannibals. (laughs) This is one specific Yeah, it was a real guy. Uh, uh, He still is alive. He follows me on Twitter. He's uh, not a cop anymore, though, right? He's not a cop anymore, but he's like a— He's a a horror writer. No, he's— Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. But it's a good outlet for him, you know? Um, Let's hope so. Yeah, but I, I think that uh, just because when I, I read that he was dating again and I'd followed his case just mm-hmm. being in New York, he was a police officer who was busted by 
his wife for plotting to eat her and her friends online. And the case became about thought crimes and can you prosecute a thought crime? But the reality is he used NYPD software to stalk some women. And he did a little bit more than a thought crime, but it was a really interesting case. Um, And so when I found out he was dating again and out of jail, it was like the perfect type of person to talk to because it wasn't, it was, it was a pretty easy person to, to, to do like a shocking interview. Yeah. And the most shocking thing that I could have done was to normalize him. And that's, I don't know if you saw that segment. Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, just I, kind of being like, did oh, he know that was coming? No, he didn't know it, it was a comedy. turned into a, a dating game. Yeah, he didn't know any of it. Three bachelorettes on the other side of the wall. So he had no idea. Not, none of it. Wow. And it, it, it was so perfect how that played out. Because at the last minute, we were also like, maybe we should get somebody who actually would date him. And so I had the producers go on some fetish websites mm. and look for a woman interested right, in like blood, right. blood play or whatever. And, and that, then you had to narrow whatever. it down to three. Well, yeah, we had one, two women who were normal. And then one who was like, just kind of a little fetishy mm-hmm. in that regard. And it, it like worked perfectly like we didn't script any of that right it was magic how that yeah. played out wow Ugh. i know i looked for i'm like i looked for an edit when i watched it. i'm like wait are they really just panning over and lighting up these three bachelorettes and does he really not <laughs> is this really happening well what happened was i think i asked him what do you look for and he said a sense of humor and that's <laughs> when i knew because i didn't know how the right. bit was gonna go right. mm-hmm. and i've done other stuff that hasn't aired that we will do something like that mm-hmm and I did something about a guy who is like a transphobic politician. And we, it's a segment that hasn't aired yet because I don't, I'm a little, it's a little touchy, but we didn't think he would be as crazy as he was. Mm. And he was so crazy, he actually made the piece unfunny. Oh, oh. yeah. Because we got, and uh, my friend, uh, Who's a hilarious comedian, Patty Harrison, helped helped write it. Oh, I love Patty. Yeah. And we plotted it out to a level, and then the guy just kept going. And so we actually didn't anticipate he would be that far along to the and then, yeah. So then it just became unfunny. Yeah. So with Cannibal Cop, I was like, he might not get to the dating game. He might walk out. Like, right. you plan all these things, and right. then... That one just worked perfectly. It's and hard yeah. to know with cannibals. Yeah. Can <laughs> They're unpredictable. Way. But you also Notoriously. have to remember, like, nothing we would do to him would be more embarrassing than what he's been through. Right. Mm-hmm. So adding comedy to it was such a relief, I yes. imagine, for him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he's probably grateful. That's yeah. It's probably why he took up writing horror. <laughs> um, is there anything that you can remember that you had planned out for somebody that um, didn't end up, you, did, you weren't able to use because it, the, Interview just didn't go in that direction or? The scary thing is I'm really good at that job. I, I'm at I, getting I, it to that point. I'm mm-hmm. like a good field producer, you know, um, because I think, I think a lot of women are actually because you can really talk to people. And like, again, I, I don't take people out of context. I try to be as respo- as ethical as I can when I'm doing this. But I do remember situations at The Daily Show. I was the only female field producer at the time. And the guys were like, you're never going to get that person to do that. You're never going to get that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, just wait. And we got, I, I like, maybe there was an instance where we thought we were going to get someone and that person like backed out of inter- of like being interviewed. But for the most part, when somebody agrees to sit down with me, I pretty much capture, I mean, there was one segment that we did with a state senator, a woman in, um, Oh, West Virginia. Uh, I forget where in West Virginia, but there was a chemical spill 
And I had pitched a segment about how, like, the chemicals in the water were turning Republicans into Democrats, like a toxic mm-hmm. Avenger type thing. <laughs> and I asked my uh, AP, my associate producer, if you can find any anyone who is now who has a track record of being really lax on regulations for chemical companies, but who is now trying to craft regulations for mm. water, then we have a piece. And we found the nicest woman, but you know her politics were bonkers. And we wanted her to do, I got her to like, we were in a, it was actually, I had like stomach pains the next day. I like, my stomach was sore from laughing so hard, (laughs) but we got this poor woman to like act out her own contamination. And we got her, she was like an elected official. We got her to do like spit takes. Yeah. And like, there's a whole, the segment's called, I think, Fimby, fuck it's in my own backyard or something. (laughs) Um... But uh, I did want her to, like, morph into the Toxic Avenger, and she was like, I'm not going to do that. And so I just, she was in a black suit, and we just went to the Macy's, and I bought a black suit, and I put the Toxic Avenger mask on, and I just mm-hmm. bought, I was her body double. I just did the stuff she, yeah. I couldn't get her to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where there's a will, there's a way. Yes. Uh-huh. So d- it sounds like you're editing while you're in your yeah. head while you're interviewing people. For sure. And you know you're that there needs to be an, an end. A beginning, a, a middle, and an yeah. end. Yeah. I mean, it's the hardest type of stuff in comedy. It's also my favorite, but it is in, in, insanely difficult. That's why you don't see enough of it. Like, you know, Nathan Fielder, mm-hmm. Sasha. Right. Yeah. They do it so well. And Well, uh, I think you're up there. Trying. There's a new movie coming out that's all pranks. Uh, Eric Andre's Eric movie. Andre. Yes, yeah. Eric Andre also. I, yeah, I haven't heard a lot about this movie, but it's it's. I think it's coming out soon. Oh, really? And it I'm sounds sure. really They're probably waiting funny. for Christmas Day. Yeah, that's right. It's going to be with the Oscar. Once everyone forgets about the Joker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all going to He's, see the Joker together. Right? We are. We're going yeah, right after yeah. this, but yeah. not to laugh. Okay. Like bulletproof vests. Or something. I know. Isn't there actually are the FBI has issued warnings and it's yeah. I I just Ooh. I I'm I am comic book movied out. Yes, I think it started in. 88. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I'm stunned. They just keep remaking everything. I know. And, well, there's a whole different take. It's an yeah, Argentine but this story. is a dark one. Yeah. <sighs> I know. There are no new ideas. Um, Jenna, what, uh, tell us about this weekend. Where can people see you? Oh, at the Improv? Yeah. Yeah, on the showcase. On Melrose. On Melrose. On Melrose, yeah. but world-famous Hollywood Improv. Yeah, I'm excited. Ha- have you performed there a lot? Yeah, uh, I've uh, definitely performed there a little bit. Do you like, uh, a typical comedian question, but I'm curious, do you like performing in L.A.? Do, do you come out here that often? or I'm living out here at the moment. Oh. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm out here at the moment. I'm okay. working on a couple projects out here. Yeah. Um, I like L.A. I mean, New York is... I, I just, I love it New there York so has much. more cannibal cops. Right. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I love it there. But I LA has a really cool comedy scene. There are a lot of really cool venues out here. And the community is really so nice. That's the other funny thing about that whole, like, comedy civil war. Like, I, I really, even comedians I disagree with, I, I'm friendly with. And there's such an, it's such a nice community of people um, yeah, so is that just, I mean, is was that like it's completely a think piece made gone awry? For, yeah, for That's what it sounds okay. Like. I yeah. mean, the problem is, is like, you know, there's not a lot of money in journalism anymore, so everything is click-oriented, and people have to create stories out of nothing, and mm-hmm. that's actually what is separating us. Like, 
clickbait stories that just are trying to divide people and get reactions out of people rather right. than the reality, yeah. which is that like most people, you know, even with this crazy, even in this crazy political moment and like whatever, but most people on a base level are like kind and yeah. Cool. yeah. When you read clickbait articles, if you actually like, I'm going to read this one. Oh my God. It never pays n- off. There's nothing yeah. there. It's based on three Three Ugh. tweets, you know, and then they they and they took a quote out of context, yeah. and then I know it's so yeah. frustrating because no one ever actually reads the article, so it just gets shared a million right. times on right, Twitter. Right. And but then I think is Twitter even real? I I don't know. Is Twitter really just like twelve other people that I'm in the same? It's 14. Box with. Maybe I'm it's, trying to make yeah. you feel better. I go back and forth because I can get very addicted to Twitter, but I do follow journalists that I appreciate. And it does kind of feel like it's a good, it really, the best use of Twitter is like you change your settings so you don't get massively trolled. And that said, I've gotten pretty <laughs> Oh, how do you trolled. change your settings? What happens? You can change, <laughs> you can change them to just yeah. like people who don't follow you don't get to oh, at you mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so there are ways to do it. But if you follow like journalists that you like, it is a good way to get your news. Yeah, no, I agree, and that's and then I hear voices that I probably wouldn't normally aren't like CNN talking heads. You mean don't just follow other comics? <laughs> or you can do that. <laughs> no, no, I've heard the same thing. My wife has always said that she like if you curate it, you yeah, it, you can you can have a perfect get some great utopia, but some great news outlets. Yeah, it's perfect for that. Well. We're out of I time. Know, we are, but uh, wait. So we, where, what, what day are you performing? What I do you think know? October fifth. Okay. okay, so that's right. Sunday. No, Saturday. Yeah. So I think oh, October fifth. Yeah, Saturday. Cool. Yeah, that's great. And but where else do you perform me. in LA now that you're yeah. here? Um, I have been traveling so much, so I haven't really. I don't have many dates on the calendar. And then mm. I'm going to be in the New York Comedy Festival. I'm doing my. Sh- I'm doing Miscarriage of Justice at Union. Hall, oh wow! Um, oh, November tenth at like I think seven p.m. in the New York Comedy Festival. That's another. That's a a big show I have coming up. That's awesome! Giant. Yeah. that's fantastic. Do you think you'll do that hour long in L.A. at some? Point? Yeah, I will probably do it again. I did a couple little secret shows. Oh yeah, secret as in if you follow me on social media, it's mm-hmm. not that secret. But um, <laughs> I didn't like have a big announcement or anything. And then I might be doing a couple more. Cool. That's great. Yeah. Well, Jenna, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. For You're a delight. And uh, you every- are. You guys are. Oh. <laughs> you don't have to say that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and yeah, break a leg. Break a leg and get me that book on different ways the big people book die. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's, I don't ask <laughs> for a lot from guests, but I want it. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks. Well, that's our show for the week. That's it. Enjoy I know. Uh, the Team Coco weekend. Yeah. Go to a comedy club near you. There's a lot of really great comics this weekend. There are. And we're going to take credit for all of them. Sure. Because um, that's the Team Coco way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. We like you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Kevin Bartelt. Engineered by Will Beckton. Mixed by Ryan Connor. Supervising producer is Aaron Blaird. Associate producer, Jen Samples. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross. Jeff Ross. Jeff Ross at Team Coco. 
and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. Ta-da! This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. mobilecom